Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. What's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners? Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. We have Jason Cohen, founder and current CTO of WP Engine. WP Engine is a WordPress hosting company that provides best-in-class customer service on top of innovation-driven technology, and they have over 60,000 customers operating in 120 countries, which is a lot of people hosting and running their websites on, uh, on their platform. And Jason, who has been super gracious with his time at multiple YouGurus events speaking at and even doing tours of WP Engine at some of our our annual summits that we did in Austin a couple of years ago. But Jason is a serial entrepreneur. WP Engine is not his first venture, but it is definitely his biggest. And we'll talk about that more in today's program. But he has exited multiple companies. He's bootstrapped companies. He's gotten outside funding. He's had co-founders. He's gone on it alone. And uh, he's also been an active or currently is an active uh, angel investor and co-founder of or a founding member of the Capital Factory in Austin, Texas, which is an incubator and co-working space. Jason is also an avid blogger. He has continued to do thought leadership and blogging at blog.asmartbear.com. If you guys have never read Jason's blog, I would highly encourage it. Uh, as an entrepreneur, there's so much to get out of each one of his posts I find they are full of wisdom, not just information and how-tos, but actual wisdom from being in the trenches of all of these companies with all these people and all this experience, and especially as a, a web professional or a digital professional, and his perspective right now on in the industry, I think, is something that you guys should really dive into after you're done, of course, listening to this podcast. Welcome to the Digital Agency Show, Jason. Glad to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So... Give us a little bit of a, a start on who Jason Cohen is. What what got you into programming and computers back in the day? Do you ever do you remember like the first time you used a computer in that way to make something uh, for yourself or somebody else? Yeah, I'm one of those annoying kids who grew up with a TI ninety nine slash four A, where Joy was saying print Jason or ten print Jason twenty go to ten. And then watching it say Jason a lot. So it's it's been forever, I think, that I've been uh, interested in that. I think, you know, it's always a trick to ask, you know, why why do people start companies? Why do the people listening to the show? Why did you start an agency? It's not like the world needs more companies or more digital agencies. It's It's a kind of funny thing. It's a very egotistical thing to say the world is missing me and my ideas, which are probably not as unique as I, I wish they were. Um so I think it, it probably comes from more uh, a, a less noble place, probably more one of just like, I don't like it when people tell me what to do, so I, I'd better make my own job. Um, <laughs> and I don't like being told I'm wrong, so I better do something where I could just make money anyway, even though I may still be wrong. So, I mean, not nothing that conscious, right? But it's probably more driven from that than, uh, than some lofty thing like changing the world or, um, or something like that. Uh, also, it doesn't. It's it kind of doesn't make uh, rational sense to start a business in a way. I mean, it's uh, 
definitely less risk um, to just have a regular job and collect a paycheck and go home at, the, at a regular time. It's a, probably a higher expected value, right? You're just hoping to roll the dice and maybe have a, a different than expected value. So, I mean, everything about it is kind of uh, strange. <laughs> it's, it's only recent that founders haven't been a weird breed. Like now founders, being a founder is celebrated. Kind of mainstream uh, it you know, at through, some levels. Yeah, the world. But like that wasn't true even maybe 10 years ago, but certainly not 20 years ago. You were weird. If you were the weird person uh, awaiting the uh, invasion of the MBAs to go take your company over the, so that the real adults can do it. So I think uh, it's only recently that that's even an interesting or desirable thing to be. Do you remember your first entrepreneurial venture? Uh, maybe not a full company, but something that you did that made you feel that you were a little different or not part of that mainstream that was just going to get a job? Well, during uh, college, I was working for a startup, which also made me interested in, oh, look, it can be like this. Um, in high school, I was working for Tracor Aerospace, which is a very large, uh, you know, sort of old style engineering firm. So I saw what that was like. Certainly interesting problems, but the you know the the culture and the attitude and what you could accomplish and what you could affect and the the attitude of the people around you and in, in desiring to make something interesting and uh, over making something that uh, that checks a lot of boxes you know that was appealing. But I think what the first thing I did myself that was was like sort of a proper venture was um, while I was in college I made something called Fast Scheduler and the idea is that it tied into the uh, mainframe. Uh, this was at University of Texas in the early 90s. It tied into their mainframe, which knew which classes were full and which weren't. And so you could you could decide what kind of a schedule you wanted, ideally, and what kind of classes roughly you wanted. And it would try to form schedules that were uh, that arranged to the to your preferences and were available. And the and were available was the real trick. So maybe that was the first one. But uh, then after that, after doing a few other shorter um, positions. I started a, uh, it really ended up being a consulting company. We were doing a, a couple of million dollars a year at peak, but then it sort of fizzled out after the bubble burst, as many things did. Um, so that was useful to get sort of some experience in, but it wasn't until the, the next few startups where they were really proper startups. Some were with co-founders, some were bootstrapped, some were funded, um, but all of them made more than, um, you know, made over a million dollars in revenue per year and, um, two of those were sold. And, and of course the current one I'm at is WP engine, which, um, and of course we're, we're quite large at this point. We have about 450 people and we're still growing rapidly. We have offices around the world and, um, it's, it's a wholly different journey than, than, uh, my bootstrapping companies, which is where I started. Obviously your road to WP engine, a 400 plus person company and have you guys you took outside funding for wp engine if i remember correctly we did but only in in year two hmm. so it was also a bootstrap company at first which is uh how all of my other companies have been as well so i really thought of myself as a bootstrapping founder and i still do the difference with wp engine there were several things that sort of caused me to decide to go a different route one was um i had had a kid and I had had a few successes under my belt and I made enough money. I didn't have to work again. So I really could choose what to do. And WP engine was already being successful in a bootstrapped sense. And so that was clearly a path, but equally clear after two years was the size of the opportunity. 
and sort of a little peek at what that kind of a journey would be. Because obviously it's a different sort of an attitude and different goals you have, different constraints, uh, and so forth. And having done a few other bootstrap companies, I, I felt like I wanted a different journey that time, just personally. Not that, not that it's boring or that every company is the same, quite the opposite. I feel like one of the things people get wrong when they do subsequent companies is thinking that they have it all figured out. And now I can just run my plays. That is absolutely not true. You have to have that beginner's mind and realize that some things I know from before might still be relevant. And that's great if it's true, but everything might, might be different and some things absolutely will be different. So you have to have that, that new mind going into anything. Nevertheless, there's still the, the part of the journey that's the structure of a bootstrap company, meaning you're always constrained by money. So you're only growing or doing things at a certain pace. Uh, your goal is not to be a billion dollar company or anything like that, nor should it be. Um, it's, 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 uh, other things. I mean, d- different people are different things. Some people want to make the most profit possible while never having an employee, which is awesome. Some <laughs> people want to have no more than single digit employees. Some people want to be as big as they can, but still profitable and not grow too fast and break it. And I mean, there's lots of different things people might want out of a business. That's one of the great things about entrepreneurship is you get to decide that and try to try to make that happen. Um, but I, I realized that that particular journey, um, wasn't going to be as fulfilling. And I wanted, I wanted to try something this time that was bigger in the sense that it was a bigger company and, and have the, the types of challenges, but also advantages that that could have. And so that's why I decided to do something different that time, not because one's better or worse or something like that, but it was available and I did want some to, 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 to have a different journey. At some level, that being able to go bigger is, of course, going to be constrained by what's the opportunity in the marketplace. Is that something that you had assessed before you even started putting real resources into WP Engine? That there really, I mean, obviously, WordPress is massive, and so WordPress hosting makes a sense that that would be a massive thing. Um, but to play at that bigger game, did you have to make sure you got that right before you even started, or did you just realize after you'd been bootstrapping it for a little while that? this actually could be bigger. Maybe there's something more than just my usual startups here. Like at what point in time did you make that decision as an entrepreneur? So I definitely did a lot of research before starting WP Engine itself. Cause I, I had other ideas too, which I also did research for and decided they weren't such great ideas, but WP Engine, uh, things just really fell into place as I was, for example, interviewing 50, five, zero potential customers and what is their experience and their pain points and what would they be willing to pay and what are the alternatives? And, and then, you know, just looking at how many WordPress sites there are and how is that changing? It's just really clear that this was actually a really big opportunity, but still I was only evaluating that at first for a bootstrap company. So I didn't care if the market was billions of dollars or hundreds of millions, like any of that's okay if it's a bootstrap company. So it just, I just had to validate that it was big enough and growing because even if you just want a tiny piece of the market, it's still so much easier if the market is vast and growing. When it's vast, there's always room for more companies, even if they're just uh, copycats. Um, and when it's growing, that means there's new money coming in, which means there's always new people who don't necessarily have preconceived notions of how the market works and who the players are. And those are the easier customers to get when you're new to the market. Whereas if the market's small or if it's shrinking, um, that's not happening. And so it's it's much, much harder to, to do any company, but especially a bootstrap company when the market is small and or shrinking. So I didn't make sure of that, but I didn't care about being a billion dollar company or anything like that at first. No way. Now, two years in, just our experience with the market, the what's going on, how is that changing, 
once we had that kind of experience under our belt, not just, I guess, research, you could say, um, then it became clear, oh, wait, this really is a, a potentially billion-dollar opportunity. Wow. How many, how many times has that come along in life? Um, but this seems like it may be one of them. And couple that with this is a journey that would be fun to do this time. Fulfilling maybe is a better word than fun. It's certainly not usually fun to run a company. But <laughs> fulfilling maybe. Um, and so, so, you know, this kind of combination of it's, it's available or possible, that's what made it clear. But that, that's not how I thought about it at first. When you kind of had that aha moment that this could be something bigger, I know you had another CEO come in and, and take over that role in the business. Was was it at that point when you wanted to take a bigger swing and bring on outside money that that happened? No, that didn't happen for another two and a half years after raising money. So that those things were not linked at all, raising money and and, and uh, hiring a new CEO. Uh, so the CEO is, is another very interesting topic, something that most founders of a successful company, maybe all founders of a successful company will face this question, which is, do you really want to run the company forever? Some people say no and sell the company. Some people say no and promote someone to be the GM. Some people say they um, want to be the CEO, but they really don't, and they usually burn out, and then again end up either selling the company, doing something else kind of suboptimal. Sometimes people want to step aside and the CEO comes in and is terrible. But other times it can it can work out really well. LinkedIn is a good example of a company where both happen. They, Reed Hoffman, who is one of the greatest entrepreneurs probably that there is, at least in, in an advising sense, um, brought in a CEO and wasn't good. And they had to kick that CEO out, which fortunately they did. They hunted for another one. They found Jeff Wiener and um, kind of famously there was a uh, – Jeff was there for a very short period of time at this point, And they had a big product release and everyone was testing it in the middle of the night, you know, two in the morning – submitting bugs and stuff, helping for this big release in the morning. And the number one tester was Jeff Wiener, the CEO. And they thought, oh, we got the right one. <laughs> right? Like, this is what we, this is great. So, you know, there's such a thing as, um, as, as uh, a CEO that comes in later that's so impactful and so much a part of what the company is and the culture and the growth and what happens in the subsequent years that it's almost fair to say that you've had a second founding moment. And that's something Reed says, and that's really how I feel also have the uh, attitude and, and uh, personality uh, to start something from nothing and to, and to scrape around, but also be the CEO of a 2,000-person company. But those jobs couldn't be more different. Um, one is agile, one is planful, one is scrappy, one is uh, allocating uh, people and, and money, um, one is hands-on, the other one is empowering teams. It just goes on and on. Like it's it's extremely different uh, jobs. In fact, even just being a CEO of a 200-person company is very different than a 20-person company. So sometimes you have people who want to do all of those things and and have that entire journey. But I think that's quite rare. Um, but it's hard to like to to realize. Wait, I like this part. I like the generation part, the ideation, the quick execution at the beginning. I like certain pieces. But the CEO of, of again today we're 450 people. The, the job of CEO of 450 people is nothing like that. So if those are the things that I thrive on and I don't particularly thrive on those other things and maybe not even good at some of those things, then I'm hurting the company by being the CEO of that and myself because I'll be unhappy and suboptimal. And that causes resentment and ultimately burnout. And I know that firsthand because that's what happened to me at SmartBear. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up burning out without realizing it. Um, and, uh, 
we sold the company and it was good. We sold it for a good um, multiple on revenue and all the employees got to share in that. So like just in the on paper financially sort of doing the right thing by employees and customers in all those senses, it was all good. In fact, smart bear still operates today, um, which is 10 years after I sold it. And, uh, 16 years after I started it, it is still going strong, still growing, still profitable in technology. So that's good. Like there, it was a good exit and it was a healthy company. Everything about it was good on paper. But the reason I sold it ultimately was that I got burned out because I got myself in a position where I didn't like doing the work. But since I wasn't introspective enough to understand that, um, I didn't see other options. I feel like a lot of people might feel like they're burning out or maybe there's been times where I've thought to myself, I just need to hustle more or step up and maybe I'm in a burnout moment or how do you assess that if you're in that space and maybe you, you aren't, don't have the fortune of having the ex, a big exit as an opportunity. How did you know that you were burning out? Well, I didn't. That's, that's, that's <laughs> so the way I found out was, um, I got this offer cause I wasn't, I wasn't looking to sell, but I, an inbound offer came in wonderful and it was pretty good. So I go home and tell my wife, look, this just came in. I don't know what to do because on the one hand, uh, we don't need to sell. Everything's fine. On the other hand, um, this is actually pretty fair and it's been six years and, you know, maybe I should take it. I'm not sure what to do. She says, well, you have to sell. I said, what? What do you mean I have to? <laughs> right? <laughs> that's, that's a weird <laughs> retort. She says, well, don't you realize how unhappy you are? Of uh. course, I did well, I was not getting, I was insomniac and I was snippy all the time and all this kind of stuff, but it was hard to tell because it builds up slowly. So you're a frog boiling in water, right? So it's hard to, it's hard to take an assessment and realize that. I think there's several ways to, um, to recognize this first is just asking the question in the first place probably is helpful. I wasn't even asking the question, how am I doing? That would, that was not a question I asked. It's so touchy feely, new agey, How's your energy, man? Like it's just, it sounds so stupid to me. So I never even went there, but there is a truth that's in between the new age crap and, um, and the truth, which is that you're also one of the employees. And one thing you might real recognize is, especially as, as founders and CEOs, we tend to put ourselves last because we're the last to get paid. You know, if the company has a bad month, we're the ones who take it, right? We don't, we don't make our employees not get a check first. We're the ones who don't get a check first. We also get we also get rewarded when things go well, right? So that seems fair. Maybe it is fair, but what what that ends up doing is you end up treating yourself worse than you would treat any of your employees. If one of your employees said, you know, it's been two years since I had a vacation, I think I want to just take two weeks and really, really reset, come back, energize. You'd say, oh my god, I can't believe you haven't taken vacation that long. You have to take this vacation. You'd tell them that because you know they'd burn out. But what did you do yourself? Did you give yourself two weeks vacation ever? Probably not. I'm, I'm trying to okay. think right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Last no, time no, I took two didn't. weeks. And then you think, I can't. I can't take vacation because I do a billion things every day. I can't, it can't be done. Truth is, it can. It almost for sure can. In fact, if that's true, you've built a terrible company because that means you've put yourself in the critical path of everything. That's your fault. That's bad design. Right? So it better not be true. <laughs> you can't. You better have hired people capable of doing things and um, and so forth, uh, because otherwise you just built a terrible uh, organization. So, um, so yeah, so so that's just one simple example, of course. But whether it's so, another example would be: What work are you doing? Do you enjoy doing the work that you're doing every day? Are you good at it? Do you like it? 
Now, not you're not going to like every minute of every day. No one's that that way, right? But in the main, can you say that you're, the work you're doing is interesting and fulfilling? And if, and if the answer is no, and you're the CEO or the founder, like you can do something about that. Maybe you can hire someone. Maybe you, maybe some of that work just doesn't need to be done. Actually, and that will impact the business. Maybe that's okay. Maybe it's okay if the business grows a little slower, but you're not hating with the things you're doing every day. Because why did you build a business? Um, from scratch and take all the risk and all the stuff if you don't like doing it, right? Like that's, that's silly. You could have a regular job that you also don't like and have a lot less stress and more free time. Not that you want to, but the point is to just emphasize how silly that is. And yet we often do that to ourselves. Sometimes it can be delegated. Sometimes we don't want to delegate stuff because we have opinions about how it should be done and other people won't do it the same way or won't do it as well. Once again, you could ask the question, but does it have to be done my way? Is that really important? Because very, very few things of the business actually matters. Very few decisions really impact the business, really inflect revenue or customers, very few. So we like to be detail-oriented probably and, and have lots of opinions if we're founders. That's why we're doing this stupid thing anyways. So we tend to impart that on all work, all of the work. But that just makes it really hard to delegate it. Delegate, though, is what you need to do in order to get rid of stuff that you don't find fulfilling. Another thing I think you could do on this subject is uh, – uh, People tend to delegate the wrong things. What they'll do is say, uh, for example, let's suppose I love writing code. Oh, boy, that's my favorite thing is to just get lost in the, in the IDE for nine hours. I forget to eat. I forget to pee. That's heaven. So what do I do as a founder? I think, well, we also have to figure out marketing or get more clients uh, on board in our agency or whatever it is we need to do more of. So what do I do? I think, well, I know how to hire a great developer and manage a great developer because I am a great developer. So I know how to interview. I know how to tell, I know how to sniff them out. I know on the I know within a few weeks if they're any good or not. Um, I can evaluate the work. I know how to do that. And so that is what I'm going to do. Hire someone to do the development. Then I can focus as the founder on things like sales or marketing, getting out there to get some more clients in this agency. That's the obvious thing. And it's exactly wrong because you're giving away the thing that you love in order to do something that you probably don't love. And so that means you're probably going to do the, the thing that does need to be done, like sales and marketing needs to be done. Of course, you've got to get new clients, obviously. But don't you need someone where they love getting new clients just as much as you love coding? Like, won't that actually optimize the action of getting new clients in the door for the business? And isn't that also better for that person? And isn't that also better for you? And not just in terms of happiness, but in terms of effectiveness in the business. But then you think, well, that's logical, but how do I hire a salesperson? I don't know how to hire that. I can figure it out myself how to do sales because I'm a founder. I'm probably fairly charismatic and I can sell myself. But I don't know how to hire and manage a salesperson. That's hard. And to that I would say, that's your job. Welcome to being a CEO. Your job is to hire all of the functions of the business, um, regardless of who and titles and stuff. All the functions have to happen, and it's your job to hire and manage to that. And sometimes hiring means you do it yourself. Sometimes it means a consultant, especially with like finances. You probably have a CPA, not a full-time person. And so what, you have to figure out how to solve all this stuff. So you're going to have to learn how to hire and manage salespeople. How do you like that? But, um, but that's the job. And if you don't want to do that, then you shouldn't run a business because those are the things to do. But that's also possible. Maybe your next hire is a GM, a general manager, to do things like start with sales and then start hiring into that as sales become successful so that you could do coding in this particular example where you're the coder. 
um, maybe that is actually the right move. Maybe that's not the very first hire, but maybe that's what you grow into. Maybe that's how you morph the business into knowing that actually you hate the idea of having to hire and manage and hold to account people that are in other um, roles that you're not comfortable with. So there's lots of paths that make sense, but a path that doesn't make sense is delegate the stuff that you that 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 you love more than anything to do things you're not as good at that the business needs. That's definitely not an optimal path. And yet that's usually what we do because it seems like the thing that we quote unquote can do or are capable of doing. So I mean, I, I know it's a lot of stuff, but these are very specific things. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm half writing myself. I'm half writing notes and half writing, you know, follow up questions here yeah, on, on yeah, some of this I've stuff, done, which is which this, is good. These are all things I've I've had to do myself. I'm not telling you anything I haven't had to struggle with and, and go through myself. In fact, um, it's even worse as CEO. You have to not only hire things you don't understand, they have to be way better at it than you are. Or else you're not hiring good enough talent. Like you need the mm. good talent. Not just talent that's like as mediocre as you are at experts. <laughs> That's not, that's not good. So you have to hire better and then manage and hold them to account, even though they're better than you at the, the task. That's weird. It's really weird. How, and I'm just kind of curious. I don't know if you have any experience to share on that topic of holding somebody accountable to something that you're not even good at yourself. I just feel like that because, because what I've heard from you is most people go the comfortable route in hiring more people like them. And you're saying, no, you need to go the uncomfortable route of hiring people that have a very different skill set of you. That's the whole point. Stay in your superpower and get other people to do their superpower. And that's going to be how you build a great company. But then if I don't know that thing, like sales or development, depending on where you're, you're at, how does that relationship work for you? Well, uh, to me, the best thing is to be outcome oriented. So what you can't do is tell the salesperson how to sell. And in fact, if you have to, you haven't hired well enough. So, but what you can do is say, this is what I expect you to do, or sorry, not, not like what tasks you do, but here's the outcome I expect. I expect that you're going to drag in this much of new business every month. Well, you're new, so in the first three months, I expect the following. But then once you're here, entrenched, and you have a pipeline and so on, then I expect the following. Or maybe you've hired a salesperson out of another agency, and you expect them to bring some of their clients along. That's interesting. Maybe that's part of why you're willing to take the plunge, because they're, they're able to bring immediate business, and you go, wow, you're de-risking yourself even better. That happens a lot in the agency world. So, uh, you know, ooh, that's even, that's even better. Um, and this is true even of engineers. Um, you know, how do you, how do you evaluate whether someone's a good developer or doing good work. Um, it's not by code review and there's no, it's not lines of code or any that nonsense, obviously, but it can be results. We're supposed to deliver these things on time. Did we do it? Was the client happy? I mean, these are the primary outcomes that are important in an agency. Um, did we go over budget, under budget, you know, et cetera? Were we predictable? Did we work well with the things that were slung at us? I mean, there's lots of things that happen and the way we respond and the, the business outcome we make, that's what we really need our teams to do, to drive the, whatever those outcomes are. By keeping the conversation on the outcomes that you need them to do, you avoid having to talk about how will they create that outcome. Now, you will have to talk about how because maybe the salesperson says, well, I need some materials. There's no materials about this. You say, ah, well, what kinds of materials? Maybe I can help build those. Now we're talking. Now we're talking about uh, the person saying, here's what I need to do my job better and achieve that outcome help me. Now that's a whole different conversation. Now you're working together to figure out you know, what's the best way to do this. How, um, and, and you're looking to them to bring half the ideas or at least bring the, the challenges or the problems to the table for you both to solve. That's fine. That's fine. They don't, you, you can't expect any 
anybody to have all the answers automatically, neither do you. That's okay, but can you can you surface the problems and say, this is what I need next? But the clarity has to be around what is it that I'm supposed to deliver? What outcome for the business am I supposed to deliver? Um, with AdWords, it's very simple, right? I'm going to spend this and I want this kind of activity on the site, this many conversions or whatever. So other things, sales are, is actually pretty similar in that it's pretty straightforward to set up expectations. With code, it's maybe a little harder. It's maybe not quite as black and white because things come up and is that okay and all that. Nevertheless, you can still set up expectations, even if they're not numbers, even if they're words about, you know, about what it is that you expect. Um, and, and so there may still be just debate around whether that exactly happened because it wasn't a number, it wasn't as objective. It's still a lot better than just not having that or arguing over how to make a design or how to do code. That's definitely not right. So as a, as a leader of other people and we use scorecards in our business, but I still find myself falling into the trap of scorecard number or the outcome that we've agreed upon is not necessarily being hit. And then I tend to probably overreach and maybe a lot of people do of getting into that how bit of, well, let me, let's talk about it. How are we, you know, how are you going to do this? And almost doing somebody's work for them at some level what experience do you have or suggestions about how do you do that? How do you be a good sounding board? How do you be a good leader, but not start doing people's job or telling them how to do it? Yeah. So one thing is to always ask them. So, okay. So first of all, you have to have a shared agreement on what is the, what is a problem and what is not a problem. So for example, taking your scorecards, I I don't love scorecards, but let's suppose you're going to use scorecards. So you as the manager are going to score the other person. Also ask them to score themselves separately. Sit down and do a really honest self-assessment and score yourself. Then we're both going to come together and compare our notes. And what you're going to find is in some ways you agree. Wonderful. We agree on the truth. In some ways we disagree. You think you're doing really well in communication, but I don't. That's interesting. So before we even get into what to do, right away you can say, oh, we don't have a shared understanding of what's going on. And where you stand. And, and, and just to clarify real quick, Jason, when I said scorecard, um, more like, you know, you're accountable for 10 sales a week, right? And we just check in on that every week, not necessarily a scorecard on them. I don't know if that was what you were. Well, but it could be a scorecard on them. Like, gotcha. you, there does need to be like, are you communicating well? Are you aligned with the cultural values? Are, are you doing the right thing for our clients and for each other? Are you working well with others? Are you, I mean, there are, those things are really important too, right? So, because you can hit your numbers um, every week, but if you're a complete asshole and, and nobody <laughs> wants to come to the office, like that's failure. So there are other things besides that that, that are important, and there's no doubt about it. Sure, sure. Um, you can also be the most likable person, not hit your sales numbers. That also doesn't work, right? <laughs> These are all important. So let's suppose there's a scorecard or something like that. That's fine. So where you disagree, that's a conversation of like, wow, okay, so we have we have different perceptions of reality. We must be experiencing things differently because we're both intelligent people. We need to hash this out. So that becomes conversation number one is, is getting to a shared understanding of what's really going on. So that's, that's step one. Step two is, all right, of these things that are not going well, you know, usually what we do is we just ask our folks, um, what do you think about this? How do you feel about this? Do you even want to fix some of these things? Or are you motivated to fix some of these things? Um, which things are you motivated or not motivated, motivated to fix? Maybe we start with the ones you're motivated to. Do you have ideas of what you'd like to do about it? Are there some th- some steps you actually want to take or some mini goals you want to have or just something you're going to do differently tomorrow or a promise you're going to make to somebody or something? It depends on the thing, right? And uh, 
see what see because you want pe- other people to be party to their own rescue. If you just tell them what to do, like that's that's not really someone changing. They have to want to by seeing something and go, crap, I really don't want to be that way, or I really want to improve on this. By the way, we're not going to fix this overnight. So that's okay too. Like tomorrow, you might still screw this up. That's okay. You're not fired. Um, we need to, we were going to work on this together in good faith and you're going to come up with some solutions. And if you can't come up with ideas, um, I'm, I'll help. So that way, again, they have to be responsible for being successful and you have to be as helpful as possible. But ultimately the responsibility is theirs. So you're, you are responsible for making sure this happens. This conversation occurs. They may decide they don't want it. They're like, you know what? Screw it. I'm out. Okay, that's also their decision, right? So it is your responsibility as a manager to have this conversation and to, and to be working on stuff, but it's their responsibility to improve, and then again, yours to support and, and help. And that may work, it may not. Also, it's not necessarily true that everyone has to be great at everything or score highly on everything. There might be other compensations. So for example, it might be, you know, you, uh, you, was, you're, 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 you score really lowly communicating with others. And talking through it, like, it sounds to me like you just hate talking to people. Maybe you just find that out about yourself. You just don't like that. So then the question is, is that a deal breaker? Because maybe it's not. Maybe this is a great person in many ways, and there's a role for them where they don't have to talk to a lot of people. Maybe they can be a member of a team in which there are other people who are great at communication, so they don't have to be. And maybe it works just fine, because it's not about finding superhumans who are great at everything. That is not the goal. The goal is to ask, this is what you are. What do you want to work on? What do you want to try to change? What do you not? And is there, a, and is there room for that? And often the answer is yes. <laughs> there is room for that. You want to work on this, but not really that. And we can work with that. <laughs> and that's fine. That's just, that's just being truthful and, 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 uh, and going. like the, Absolutely not the goal that everything's perfect, right? Um, uh, on the other hand, it could turn out, you know, you don't want to talk to people, but we have a culture here where we communicate like crazy. And... That's neither good nor bad. It's just what we are. And if so, if you don't do that, you're just you just won't be part of the team ever if you're not like that. And there are other companies where it's just the opposite, and people hate communicating, and everyone's isolated, and you will love it there, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that person deserves to be in that environment where they fit perfectly. <laughs> they yeah. deserve that, and just as you deserve someone who fits in your uh, environment perfectly. So, people want to work on stuff. Awesome. If they don't. And it's okay. Awesome. If they don't, and it's not okay, well, we've we've discovered this in a hopefully relatively mature and quick manner, so that we can do something about it, which is ultimately what's going to happen anyway. Like ultimately, a person like that who's failing in a way that's important and won't change, like that's not going to work out in the long run anyway. You're going to end up firing them, or they're going to end up leaving. But if it takes longer, they're just going to leave more destruction in their wake, and resentment from other people, and all the other yucky stuff. And you're just delaying getting the right person in that seat who, you know, will actually be uh, constructive and a net positive to the company. So it's just again bad for them because they're unhappy and bad for you because it's not what the company needs. So delaying the inevitable is always wrong. As hard as it is to pull the trigger, like it's going to happen. The only question is how quickly will you arrive at that conclusion? Again, I think as the manager, it is your job to arrive at that conclusion as soon as possible. That's what a great. That's one of the things a great manager will do. But of course, in a in a constructive way. And another phrase we have here at WP Engine, and I'm just talking, but hopefully this is helpful. Um, another phrase we have is, uh, and this is Heather's phrase actually, um, general patent on the decision, Mother Teresa on the exit. <laughs> you've, got, you've got to make the right choice and you cannot dither. Yeah. But once you've decided, 
once it's concluded, you can be a magnanimous, generous human being to this other human being. So unless it's something like, you know, sexual harassment or something where there's no, you don't want to be magnanimous, but if it's something like, look, it's just not a good fit. And and that's whose fault is it? That's not even a good question, right? It's, it, it is what it is, and, and we can be good good human beings. So we, we've done lots of things like, you know, if we just hold them over for a little bit longer, they get COBRA f- coverage for another month, and, you know, just maybe they can start looking for another job right away even though the two weeks isn't over. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do. Obviously, you do it based on the situation and on the financial ability of the company and, so, and all those things. But, but you can – it helps – I guess I could say this. Knowing that you can be Mother Teresa on the exit helps you emotionally accept the fact that you must be General Patton on the decision. Because you know you could treat this other person really well. And actually that making a fast decision is part of treating them really well. I want to make sure I talk about something with you before we before we lose you. And I think you have a very... Uh, Sounds like I'm dying. <laughs> lose you to the end of the hour when I don't have Jason Cohen and Heather and your 450 people pull you back into uh, all the other things you're doing at WP Engine. But I feel like you have a very... And I could probably talk to you for five hours about business management and probably fill up three notebooks. But I feel like you have a very unique perspective on the web and where it's headed at WP Engine because you guys are literally becoming a fabric of the internet. And, um, you know, obviously WordPress has proliferated as, as basically the number one content management system and you guys are taking a swing at becoming, you know, a top hosting company in that space. And a lot of our listeners are building websites. Uh, I hear from people all the time, you know, like people are moving off of websites or they're going over to Facebook or they're going to apps. Uh, they're going here, they're going there. The industry is getting commoditized. Um, where do you think the web is going? Where Where is it going for you guys at WP Engine? But also bigger than that, something that maybe agency owners should be thinking about in terms of this industry and building websites and supporting clients and businesses on the web. Yeah, it's a big question. And you're right, we do see a lot of stuff. So we'll switch tracks here <laughs> um, out of the the uh, emotional turmoil of the founder into big, you know, vision, <laughs> which is quite different. Um, just a fun stat on how much of the web we see. So every day, 5% of every human online, which is a little over 3 billion, comes to at least one WP Engine property, 5% every day. So we do see a, a pretty I would big say that is that is big. <laughs> yeah, a lot of things. We're talking about five percent of humans that are online are touching one of your. Yeah, that's big. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. So, um, there's a few big trends that I think are important for folks building sites. One is you have to integrate a bunch of tools. In other words, as as a digital marketer, I I have to do things like A/B testing and web analytics and maybe a chat client. And something's feeding Marketo, and I've got conversions into leads or sales or whatever the heck it is that I'm trying to do. I've got my social media stuff and all of the tools that go off of listening and measuring that crap and different ones for every category. I mean, it just goes on and on with the, 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 the tools and things. And every tool SaaS, which means none of it can be put together and everything has to be integrated or they're just isolated. And um, so there's kind of no choice but to integrate. So the, I, I think um, – some of the enterprise plays like Adobe and uh, Sitecore and so on have the all-in-one messaging. And uh, n- not only does that not work even today, in fact, if you read the, the sort of enterprise 
reports like from Gartner and Forrester, even they say that Adobe's own customers say that although all these products are Adobe's, they actually can't work together because Adobe bought all these companies and they don't integrate. So even the, the story of all-in-one um, is not working and it's not going to work in future because there's only going to be more tools and more categories as time goes by. So I think number one, as a, as a, uh, as a technical agency, you have to become a master of integration as well as building a website in order to create the entire experience for the marketer. So that's one, integrations. A second one is um, the fact that the web is becoming less static and more real-time and dynamic. And again, this is not a surprise to anyone, I don't think, that it's getting more personalized and customized and whatever. <clears throat> and I mean, already we know it can't be a static brochure. It has to work on all devices, which either means it's responsive or it has different modes. Um, the next kind of level of sophistication is, is demographics. In other words, trying to understand this person is in what country and what time is it there and can we guess their gender and age from some of this data around their browsing history and social media with some of these tools do. And from that, can I then show different content to be more, um, uh, to, to be more effective um, just in the same way that, say, uh, um, ad, ad tech is effective by, by doing that same thing. Can I be more effective as a marketer? So that's useful. But that's not actually the most the best or the most sophisticated. So this gets into, um, and even what I just said is uh, not a lot of sites show different things on the homepage based upon a guest age. So that's already a pretty sophisticated thing. But the most sophisticated thing is what, why is this person here? What's going on? Which is really hard to suss out, but if you can, it's, it's the ultimate in value. And just as an example, um, let's say I go to, uh, Amazon, Amazon knows that I'm a 40 year old white male. Um, Good. It can probably show me, I don't know, certain vid- movies and not other movies. I don't know, right? And that's probably better than just uh, the hodgepodge that it would otherwise show me. But what if it knew that the reason I'm here is I'm trying to buy something that will distract my seven-year-old in the back seat when we go on a road trip? Holy crap! That's what Amazon needs to know, right? Like that's so much more important than, than the demographics. Is the psychographics and the intent? What's going on here? Now, that's much harder. How do you just measure that, right? That's magical data doesn't tell me that. But some things do, like we look at buying patterns or other activity this person may have already had on the site and so on. That does tell me more things, not just that I happen to visit a page, but what does that mean about what I might be here for? So as, a, as an example, am I here? Is this person here because they're examining this brand for the first time or because they're comparing this brand with others? Am I trialing it? Am I already a customer? Is this brand trying to con- convert me into an advocate because I'm already a customer? Like, why Why am I here? Um, that maybe data can help a little bit more. Is this my first time to the site or my 10th time to the site? And uh, Am I a customer? Is that something that could be integrated with the marketing site? That question of am I a customer so that the marketing site could be different um, when the answer is yes. So um, so that's an ex- those are some examples where maybe analytics and data could help um, websites be better, even if it's not so amazing that you could read my mind, like, like, like this sort of, <laughs> so that progression of going from the static brochure into something that is completely a one-on-one amazing experience for each visitor. If that's the continuum, then I believe that digital agencies that are able to build websites that are further along that, com- that continuum, um, will not only win business because that's what markers want. This is obviously what, what is desired. But also the, those sites will be – it's because those sites will be more effective, period. They will convert better. They will do better. Um, so developing that uh, along – so everyone knows personalization, but maybe that puts a little more detail around what, what, that, um, what that means. I think also um, 
I mean, obviously we're a web host, so it's easy for me to be biased uh, about technology, but the, the truth is that the faster website wins. Faster websites get ranked higher in Google, as we all know, and the engagement is better because people don't bounce as much, and conversions are higher in e-commerce. Like, we have all seen the data. Faster websites are better, period. And that's a straight hosting technical question coupled with the code. And is, does the code run a lot of weird queries or too many queries or call some external API that's slow without caching it? I mean, of course, it's a hand-in-hand thing with the host and the code. But if you have the perfect code but your host is slow, that's a problem. So there's just these issues of performance, so speed, uptime, scale. So have uptime and speed even under conditions of high traffic. Um, security, obviously, a whole other topic, but obviously it's really important and it's harder than ever to do that. So again, I'm repeating that I'm biased because, of course, we are the hosting company, so of course we, we purport to deliver that value. But I do think those things of performance, those aspects of performance, will only become more true. It won't suddenly be true that a slow site is acceptable or that security is easy. Those, those are not developments that are going to happen in the next 10 years. So it is important what technology uh, platform you're on uh, because because it does affect the, that very important um, category. So um, I think maybe the last thing is how agile and how how uh, deft can you be as an agency? So what I mean is um, sort of old school marketing, whether it's billboards, magazine ads, events, is we have months and months and months, maybe years before this thing goes. So we have a lot of time. And Larger companies with big web pages feel they kind of go the same way. We do big build outs and lots of review and legal looks at it, and oh my God, everything takes forever. So it's very checked, and that, that's good, I suppose, but it's very slow and it can't react to anything. And of course, the web is moving quicker, whether it's whether you're talking about content or whether you're talking about customers and their attitudes and what they need to see, or whether you're talking about tech uh, and engineering. Like all those things are accelerating at speed. I think that's clear. I don't see why that would stop accelerating. Um, in the future, it seems like there's only more stuff happening. So to keep up and to do things quickly, I think, um, is important. And so what does that mean in terms of how quickly you can launch a new site with quality, um, getting, uh, you know, checks checked off from the, from the uh, client and, and get it going. We often see digital agencies winning deals simply because they can do it faster. So one mm. agency uh, says I can do it in, in six months and someone says, well, I can do it in three well, obviously, three wins, especially when it's some kind of campaign that will create growth, which is typically what marketers want to do. Sooner is better when it comes to that. Um, so I think the, the ability for the agency to, to move quickly and be agile um, in the agile development sense, but also just in the sort of speed and, and sense um, is is useful. I think also if an agency can prove to a, to a client that you can do small things with agility, so relatively low cost, not cheap, but – but you know, not not also also not too expensive, right? So a good ROI, um, and, and in an agile fashion with smaller projects, that's an agency that uh, the marketer wants to leave in, lean into and say, oh great, well maybe we can do bigger ones too, and and let's just let's now I have a partner I can work with, and I think establishing that is important, and the speed at which stuff is uh, quality stuff is created is part of establishing that rapport, um, so I think that's too. So so. Um, so I think I think those maybe four things are, are important pillars in the future. So agility of, of developing and releasing sites, moving quickly there. Um, the intelligence about uh, data and, and customization, personalization, um, just performance, even though it's kind of a boring topic, it's really important still. Um, and integration, 
the this fact the fact of life that you the, the website by itself is not the whole story and you have to play well with others and have that be part of your core competency so i think those four things are important and um what we do at wp engine about that is um we do uh, a lot of writing and thought leadership pieces on these things a lot of a lot of them come from uh, experts from around the world and some of them we do on some of our publications like velocitize and torque mag which are both uh uh, independent publications that we fund um, on these kind of topics. And then also in our product development, like obviously, again, our value proposition is that we make your site fast and secure and scale and all these things. Um, as well as here's here's some data um, APIs you can use to try to build some of those sophisticated things in, the, in that intelligence. And here's some tools for for you as developers to be agile and, and be able to do those things. And um, here are some ways where integrations could be easier built. So those are also things where we're thinking, how can we make our platform better for that too? And it's not true that like we can just solve all that. In fact, most of those problems I listed and those challenges, agencies have to solve. Agencies have to do. You can't just get a tool out of the box and magically all of those things happen. It's not true. There are areas where tools can be more helpful, like with security and speed, we can be more helpful. And then other areas like being creative around customization where we're less helpful because that's so specific to the customer and creativity and implementation were not that helpful. So, you know, there's there's sort of different areas in which we can we can be helpful. So so our question for ourselves is always where can we genuinely be helpful as the platform and, and we should do those things um, to sort of promote these uh, these pillars of what's important in web development. That's great. Do you have time for a couple lightning round questions? Yeah. What's the best advice you've ever received? Yes, yeah, so it's, it's hard to think of what is the absolute best piece of advice. And, uh, and one of the problems with advice is for everyone that tells you to do X, someone else will tell you to do the opposite of X. And in a funny way, they might both be right in the sense that both of those things can work <laughs> for in some circumstances. Um, so I think I think maybe the best piece of advice is there is a ton of advice out there, especially now when everyone's got a, a, a friggin' opinion, right? <laughs> Great. And so I would say you listen to all this advice that's out there and you pick out the things that resonate with you where you say, wow, that seems wise. That seems to make sense to me. And then that actually is an okay filter. It's acceptable to say, that's how I'm going to decide which advice to take, the thing that really resonates. Now, the only trick is you don't want to take the advice that's comfortable and affirms what you want to be true. That's not good because sometimes you need to hear the hard thing. Otherwise, the advice, you don't need it at all. <laughs> but when you think like, uh, I want to say no, but that's only because I'm afraid that it is in fact true. <laughs> right? yeah. Like, you know, the difference between those two feelings, right? So trying to be honest about those feelings, go, oh, my God, that's really true. Um, that's a good way to filter advice and thus to get good advice for yourself. But it's okay to ignore some knowing that uh, it's all over the place. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? Hmm. Uh, I'm really good at prioritizing my individual tasks. Um, and I have a, I don't know, I guess a custom system for doing that. One of the things that's not custom is Inbox Zero. I've been Inbox Zero for, geez, since like 2005 or something, religiously. Um, that's really good. I mean, you've, you've heard that before, I'm sure, but um, I really absolutely stand by Inbox Zero. And every time I see someone with more than a screen full of email, I just think, how do you live? How do you operate? <laughs> when you close your laptop and know that there's 1,000 unread messages, some of which are unread, in fact, and some of which you marked unread, and most of them are on page two plus, how do you know what's 
the hell's going on and what you've missed and what you've, you know, cause you are ignoring most things and only, but you haven't decided which ones to ignore. That's the difference. Mm. So I, I, maybe I'd say inbox zero. Is there a tool or internet resource that you use a lot that maybe our listeners would like something like, I mean, I hear from other people, you know, Trello or I use Evernote. Is there a tool that you use a lot that you think other people should use? I use remember the milk for my to do's um, because the web UI is good and the mobile apps are better and that syncs really well. And uh, they used to not have some features that I really like, like a start date. In other words, don't show me this thing um, until until I can start working on it. Um, but they did add all, uh, all the things that um, at least I personally wanted. So not, now I'm uh, a big fan of Remember the Milk. Also, that you can create your own custom filters, so you can, which I do to, uh, as well, just so that I can support a very specific workflow that I want. And those filters uh, equally or automatically work both on the web and mobile. And uh, that's not something I found in another tool. So, so just at least for me personally, that uh, that just really, really worked with how I uh, manage tasks. And if you're going to be in box zero, then you do need a great task management system because tasks need to go somewhere if it's not the inbox. Um, but you got to treat the inbox as an inbox, literally. Like it is in and I haven't processed it. And as soon as you process it, it's got to get out of the inbox and into something where you can prioritize it or put it off or not do it or, you know, whatever it is you're gonna, that's going to end up happening. Some kind of system. What book would you recommend and why? Well, if you're right and everyone's all uh, emotionally twisted up in knots as we all are, then a uh, hard thing about hard things is always good for that. Um, for WP Engine... Uh, a seminal book for us is the innovator's solution, which is the follow on to innovator's dilemma, um, which is kind of like how the, how the low cost uh, challenger to the big guys um, can grow. And in fact, topple the big guys, that's the innovator's dilemma. Um, and uh, so for us, at least that's kind of uh, a, uh, a way for us to see what's happening in the market for us. So that, that's a, that's a good book, at least for us. Um, I'm actually not sure specifically for agencies because that's, I don't read books in that uh, genre, so I don't actually know there. But hard thing about hard things is good for just overall emotional health. How can the audience find more about you or get in touch with you? Or is there anything that you might have they should check out? Yeah, I'm uh, on Twitter at A Smart Bear, letter A Smart Bear. Uh, the blog is asmartbear.com. And my email is jason.cohen at wpengine.com. Well, there you have it. You can get in touch with Jason Cohen. Uh, founder of WP Engine. Thank you so much, Jason, for hanging out with us today on our program. I have a copious amount of notes for my own business, which is always a good sign that we've got the right person uh, on the program. So thank you again for being so generous through time and sharing all this knowledge with us. Thank you. Well, let's do it again sometime. You are always welcome on the Digital Agency Show.